Hey everybody, this is Mary Guilfoyle with Acts 29 and the You Were Born for This podcast. We're doing things a little bit different this week because we want to give you a gift. It's hard to believe Christmas is only four days away, but praise God it is because we desperately need to be reminded again and again, especially now when both the world and the church are crying, the reasons that we have for hope. We at Acts 29 would argue that there's no better time than Christmas to get clarity on the mission of Jesus and understand why in the world he came. Given that, we want to share with you this homily preached by Father John two years ago on Christmas Day. It's as powerful now as it was then. Enjoy. What are we celebrating? Why is everything still so messed up? What impact does what we're celebrating have on your life and mine right now, tonight? And how should you and I respond? Those are the four questions on my mind on this Christmas morn now. What are we celebrating? Why is everything still so messed up if we're celebrating? What impact does this have on your life and mine tonight? And how should you and I respond? First, what are we celebrating? This should be obvious, but I don't think it is. I'm struck, actually, by how many people don't seem to really know the basic message of the gospel. Let me try to offer you an an image which has been particularly helpful for me. Imagine that you and I are not Americans, that we're French. And it's not 2018. It's 1944. And since June 14th of 1940, our country has been occupied by a tyrannical, demonic regime. Our life has been totally overturned. Deportations, executions, concentration camps, these things are our day-to-day realities. And then one day, June 7th, 1944, to be exact, as you and I are sitting at our kitchen table, the newspaper boy rides by on his bicycle and excitedly throws a newspaper through the front window, smashing the glass to the floor, and we pick up the paper. And this is what we read. Invasion on. Allies land at Normandy. Hitler's seawall is breached. Now, if that's you and me, and we're sitting there that day, reading the newspaper, do we just kind of go, hmm, I wonder what else happened yesterday? Would that be ordinary news? Or would that be extraordinary, life-changing news? news. We don't even need to answer that, right? Let me frame it another way. Take a look at these pictures. What are these men doing? Why have they come? Perhaps they've come because visiting the beaches at Normandy have always been on their bucket list. 
Or maybe they're there because someone said, before you guys die, you have got to see the Louvre. Or maybe they're there because they've heard the coffee in Paris is second to none. It's not why they're there. It's obvious, right? They're there to fight. They're there to go to battle. They're there to liberate, to rescue, to save a people that's in the grip of a tyrant. Ah. So, why is he there? Why did God become man? Why did he land, if you will? The answer to that question is supposed to be, supposed to be, as readily apparent as the answer to the question about the Allies landing at Normandy, but tragically, it's not. Somehow, some way, Jesus has become some figure who came to teach us to be kind and to love. Somehow, some way, Jesus has become some figure who told stories and taught by parables. Somehow, some way, Jesus has been reduced to someone who did miracles and castigated religious leaders. Now, to be sure, Jesus did teach us to be kind and to love, and he did do miracles, and he taught by stories because that's an effective way to teach. And he did at times castigate religious leaders, but those things are not the reason why he came. God became a man for the same reason that the Allies landed at Normandy. God became man to fight, to rescue, to liberate, to deliver a people in the hands of a tyrant infinitely worse than Adolf Hitler. Europe woke up June 7th, 1944, and everything was different because someone had come. The people were suddenly filled with hope because the landing, the invasion of the Allies was a message that they were worth fighting for. They were worth rescuing. And that, my friends, is what God wants you and me to leave here with this morning. The confidence the joy, the hope that comes from knowing that the one who made everything that is thinks you and me for some reason, I don't know why, are worth rescuing and fighting for. That's not my imagination. Listen again to the words that we just heard in the scriptures. For the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulder, and the rod of their taskmaster, more literally, the rod of their slave driver, you, Lord, have smashed. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us, to rescue us, to free us. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. Here's how another passage puts it in the Old Testament in the book of Wisdom. For when peaceful stillness encompassed everything, and the night in its swift course was half spent, your all-powerful word from heaven's royal throne leapt into a world doomed to die. 
I'm increasingly convinced that the only way that you and I can fully understand the gospel, the good news, is to more deeply appreciate and embed ourselves, if you will, in what we might call the bad news. Tempting as it can be for many of us, especially in America, Christmas is not a time for nostalgia. And it's not a time to look back to the good old days. There were no good old days. Not ever since that fateful day in Eden. Think to that Christmas carol that we sing, many of us anyway, year after year without really reflecting on the words, God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Why? To save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. See, way back at the beginning of our race, our first parents were deceived by a creature who was himself good once, but who out of envy, not of God, but of us and of the plan that God has for us, those parents were deceived and unknowingly, they sold us, their descendants, into slavery to powers that we can't compete against. Ours is a race that's in bondage. Bondage to sin, bondage to death, and bondage to the devil. I wish this was a fairy tale, people, but it's not. The proof, I think, is rather easy. Many of us, as I look out here, mindful of what it is that you've gone through in your lives with your loved ones and me with my life and my loved ones, we know we are absolutely impotent in the face of death. You can fight all you want, but you and I are going into the ground one day in a box. Such is the power of death. Or how about this one? Anybody here ever do things that they hate doing, that they don't want to do, that they end up doing anyway? Am I alone in that? Have you ever wondered why? The biblical answer to the question why is because sin is a power which is continually trying to exert control over us. Simply put, the world is not benign. And all our advances in technology and science can't fix us, but God can. Here's how Jesus describes the situation that he comes into. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he may plunder his house. Who's the strong man? The devil. What's his house? The world. Who are his goods? Us. Who's the one who ties him up? Who's stronger than him? That would be Jesus. Here's how the catechism puts it. Sick, our nature demanded to be healed. Fallen, to be raised up. Dead, to rise again. Captives, we awaited a savior. Prisoners, help. Slaves, a liberator. One of the great preachers in the early church said it this way, 
Christ declared war against our enemy, crushed him who at the beginning had taken us captive in Adam and trampled on his head so that he might destroy sin, overcome death, and give life to man again. This is why he came. It's why he landed. It's why God became a man. He invaded a land that was doomed to die, a land held under a tyrant whose power is far worse than your worst nightmare and mine, and to free you and me from that tyrant's grip. The fight reached its culmination on a cross when in a most extraordinary and creative way, Jesus drew the enemy close to him so as to destroy him, but we'll leave that for another night. Now, this all sounds wonderful. If this is the case, how come everything's still so obviously messed up? Or let me offer you another analogy that's been helpful for me. D-Day is when? June 6, 1944. The moment the Allies land and get inland, the war in Europe is effectively over. The Allies know that. The Nazis know that. The people who live in Europe know that. But the war didn't end in June of 1944. In fact, for the next 11 months, some of the battles that raged were fiercer than any of the battles that went before that. VE Day, the end of the war in Europe, wasn't until May of 1945. That's how I think of Jesus' work oftentimes. From the moment of his resurrection from the dead, the war was won. God knows it, and Satan knows it too. But he's still prowling around, and he's still fiercely fighting for your life and for mine. And he will do so either until the end of your life and, or until Jesus comes back, whichever one comes first. But I am, and you are, no longer under his control. Which brings me to the third question. How does all this that we're celebrating here tonight genuinely impact my life right now and your life right now? Let me offer two ways. First, death no longer holds me under its power. Hear that again. Death no longer holds me or you under its power. This is the first Christmas that I'm celebrating as an orphan. It's an odd experience. Most of you know my mom passed away this past September. My dad died almost three years ago now. My brother died in between the two of them. I miss them beyond words. And there is inside my heart an indescribable hole. I know a lot of us here tonight have a similar hole. But here's the truth. Because of what it is that Jesus has done, death no longer has power over them. God's raised them. That's why he became a man, to destroy the one who has the power of death and to free us from the fear of death. And so we can miss and we can mourn, and we do, I do, 
miss and mourn those who no longer walk with us right now, but I can live my life in confident assurance that I will see them again one day and that they are really somewhere right now, very much with us, in our midst, either on their way home or already home cheering us on. Second way that this news impacts my life right now, sin has no power over me anymore or over you. This is remarkably good news, people. Sin has no power over me anymore. The liberation and the rescue that Jesus offers isn't just some event that's going to happen in the future. Clearly, it's not yet fully something that you and I are experiencing. And if you hang around me long enough, you'll see me act in certain ways that I'm not really fond of acting in or proud of. I still have thoughts that I'm not really proud of having. I still speak sometimes in ways that I wish I didn't speak. But despite all that, I don't have to sin anymore, and neither do you. Jesus offers you and me tonight freedom and the capacity to walk out of here changed and different. Some of us, some of us, all of us, we all walked in here tonight with habits that we can't stand about ourselves. We feel stuck. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's lust, maybe it's a whole host of other things. And we feel trapped like we can never get out of it. But here's the truth, you can change tonight and I can change tonight and we can walk out of here free. Jesus gives authority back over our lives to live a new way so that when temptations come my way, and they continually come my way, I can say things as simple as this. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over whatever that spirit is, anger, resentment, lust, whatever. I take authority over you in Jesus' name. I don't belong to you. You don't have any control over me. I am not under your power. Jesus offers you that tonight, and he offers that to me tonight. This isn't some magic formula, people. This is simply because Jesus is Lord, and he's crushed the enemy, and he dwells in you, and he dwells in me. Finally, what should you and I do in response to all that God has done for us? Let me offer two more real quick things. First, we should praise and thank God like no one we've ever praised and thanked, the rescuer. How did the people of Europe thank their liberators? Look at these pictures. Oftentimes you see pictures of the people in the streets of Rome or the people in the streets in Paris or a whole host of the other cities in Europe and they're just throwing themselves at the allies, thanking them profusely. It's just one giant festival of thanksgiving. They were overwhelmed and filled with joy over the fact that someone thought that they were worth rescuing and fighting for. So how should you and I respond to the one who's rescued us from death and from hell and from Satan? Second, I heard a friend of mine put it this way recently. She said, those who have been rescued, rescue. 
That's a great line. Those who have been rescued, rescue. We end every Mass with the words, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. What's gospel mean? Not news, good news. What kind of good news? Extraordinary good news. Life-changing good news. What is the good news? Simply this, that you matter. You're worth fighting for to the God who made everything that is visible and invisible. You're worth rescuing. You're worth dying for. You're worth him becoming a man. And so we have been rescued to tell others about the one who has done this for us. We've been rescued so as to do our best to witness to others the difference that Jesus and he alone can make in our lives. And we've been rescued so as to transform everything we can that's still somehow in the grip of the enemy of our race. Tonight's not about trees. It's not about presents, it's not about eggnog, it's not about mistletoe, it's not even about family, great as all those things are, especially family. Tonight, people, is about God. God has acted for us. He's become man for us. He has rescued us, all because you matter. God rest ye, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Tidings of comfort and joy. Merry Christmas. We hope your heart was touched by Father John's homily. God bless you. Merry Christmas. And may the great gift of hope, the great gift of Jesus, soothe and quiet our anxious hearts. Happy birthday, Jesus. Jesus.